0: I understand that you're in this uh, preaching series called God Is, um, all about the incommunicable attributes of God. Now, I must confess, when when Hugh asked me if I would come and speak, um, I did have to look up that word uh, just to make sure that I knew what it meant. Um, And I think what it means is that you're looking at the attributes of God that are not like us, right? Yeah, okay, phew. This is going to go okay. So the attributes of God that are not like us. And actually, that might be news to some of us that, in many ways, God is not. Like us. Yeah, because we what we tend to actually do is we recreate God in our own image rather than acknowledge that we've been created in his image. And so then we get confused when things happen or the word doesn't line up naturally with the way that we think. Um, and so we, we kind of the danger is we twist it and just recreate God as, as we are. But actually he is he's different. He's different from us. He's not the same. He is other. He is set apart. The word that the Bible uses to describe him is is holy. What holy means means he is set apart. He is different from us. And his difference is seen in these incommunicable attributes. And so today we're going to look at a couple of those together. We're going to look at God as self-existent and God as self-sufficient. So, some nice light stuff for us to uh, chew over this morning. So, to help us think about that, if you've got your Bibles, do you want to turn with me to Acts chapter 17. We're just going to read a few verses this morning from Acts 17, starting in verse uh, 22 down to 25. I'm not going to do a, a detailed kind of exegesis this morning. I'm going to use this passage as our, our launching point and refer to some other scriptures as well. There's so much, obviously, in the Word. The whole Bible is uh, about God, it's a revelation of who God is. So, we could go. Of, in many many places to to think about these two things this morning, but we're going to kind of start here in Acts 17. And just to give you some brief context before we dive into the passage so, this is Paul um, in Athens, and basically, what's happened is Paul has wandered around the city of Athens and he has um, seen there their religiosity, seeing their devotion to multiple idols, and his spirit has been provoked within him, obviously as a believer in the one true God, seeing all these idols kind of does something um, to him. And so he gets into some conversation, uh, some discussion with some philosophers in the marketplace, and they invite him to a place called the Arapages, the place where they debated the deep things, to come and tell them more about this God that he believes in and that he is preaching about. And so what we have in these few verses in Acts is really kind of Paul at baseline level telling people who have no understanding of the God that Paul worships, what he is like. And these verses are going to be helpful for us as we try to consider these two attributes of God. So let's then start reading in verse 22 and see what the word of God has to say to us. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Arab said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. But as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this opportunity uh, to meet together and to sit underneath its authority. What we do in this moment, we sit underneath, we position ourselves again at your feet. Lord, and we say, Lord, we want you to speak to us, Holy Spirit, we we welcome you, we open our hearts, and we just pray, Lord, that you would uh, give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear, give us hearts, Lord, to understand, Lord, and wills to respond in obedience, Lord, to what it is that you're calling us to do, and what it is that you're wanting to show us today. And so we do just pray, I pray for your help, Holy Spirit, and that you would be glorified through our time together. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So God is self-existent and God is self-sufficient. So let's start by thinking about the first one of those, God as self-existent. We read in verse 24 of Acts 17, Paul says this of God, the God who made the world and everything in it. Okay, so in Paul's first sentence, we get right to the heart of God's self-existence, right to the heart of the difference between us and God, is that God made the world and everything in it, and by contrast, we made nothing. Now, I'll explain it a little bit more about what I mean by that in a moment, but the first thing that I want you to get this morning is that at the heart of God's self-existence is this truth, that he made the world... And everything in it, and this is a truth that is emphasized throughout Scripture. Just two verses to share with you, though I could read many, many more. But Psalm twenty-four, one to two says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, or the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and those who dwell therein. For he he, not you, not me, he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. In Revelation 4, 11, this is described about God worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power for or because you created all things. And by your will, they existed and were created. So God made everything, but God himself was made by nothing. Everything is created. God himself is the uncreated one. And therein we have the crux of the thing. right? That if you were to do two lists of everything that was uncreated and everything that was created, on the uncreated side you'd have God and on the, un- on the created side you'd have everything else, right? God is uncreated and we are created. And this is the truth that we wrestle with. From very early on, okay. If you've ever, uh, if you're a parent here, uh, I'm sure you would have had this conversation with your children when you're talking about the things of God and they look at you and they say, Mommy, Daddy, who made God? Right? Anybody ever had that conversation? Kind of the, the, the shivers go down our spines with no idea how to answer it. It's like, Who made God? And it's a simple question, but it's a profound question. And we kind of, scratch our heads and we say well well, no one made God, God has always um, existed, he has always been and your children look at you with this kind of confused look on their face and it's like their brains are like I can't compute this information because as far as they can understand and no one needs to tell them this but as far as they can understand everything has a beginning Everything has an origin. Everything that they know started somewhere. And so when you tell them that God had no beginning, that God had no origin, that God has always been, their minds are blown. And our minds are blown as well. Like We can't explain it. We can't fathom it. And yet that's how scripture describes God. Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God. There's no prelude, yeah? There's no, there's no full word that happens before God enters onto the picture. He's just there at the beginning. Nothing else is there, but he's there. Everything else is going to have an explanation of how it's created and where it comes from. But God has no explanation. He has no origin story. He was uncreated by anybody. He is self-existent. Everything we know has a beginning. Everything we know has an origin. Everything we know has a source, except God. He is our source. And our existence flows from him. In fact, all existence flows from him. But his existence doesn't flow from anything outside of himself. That's what it means when we talk about God being self Existent, yeah. It means his existence is dependent upon himself. And Jesus says this uh, of the Father in John 5, 26. He says the Father has life in himself. Doesn't have life in anyone else or in anything else, but life in himself. And so as self-existent, God, therefore, is the only one who truly creates. He's the only one who truly makes anything. Now, this may sound odd to us because we may think, well, hang on a second. I know lots of people who create lots of things. In fact, I'm a creative person. I like painting or photography or writing or, you know, I've got children that I've created. You know, I'm a creative person. And yet, while it's true that we, we are creative as a reflection of God's character and nature in its purest sense, God is the only one who creates. Because God creates out of nothing. Yeah, Everything that we create, everything that we make, is out of something that God has already created. Out of something that is already there. Anytime that we are creative and, and, you know, honoring God as his reflection by using our creativity, what we're doing is we're taking the raw materials of God's creation and we're fashioning them and forming them and working them to make new forms of those things. But we didn't create them. Were those original things not there, we couldn't have made anything. God is the only one who creates. And, and I love the idea that God fulfilled the world with untapped potential for us as, as his image bearers to cultivate. Yeah, that he could have made Eden with an iPad and with a train, you know, and with, with like, you know, amazing uh, pictures or whatever. But But he put all of that untapped potential in his creation for us over decades and millennia to use the creativity that he's given us to bring these things into their fullness. But it's important that we remember that all of it comes from him. <laughs> and it's important that we recognize this because if we don't, there's a danger that we ascribe to ourselves that which actually comes
1: from God. Yeah, I, I made this, or I built this, or I own this family, job, ministry, fill in the blank. Those things that you feel like are most closely yours are not actually yours at all. They are his and they've been given to you
0: to steward well. Because God made it all, he owns it all. Acts chapter 17 verse 24 describes him as the Lord. Of heaven and earth,
1: Lord, the Boss, the King, as we so wonderfully
0: heard this morning, the Lord of heaven and earth—that encompasses everything. As much as sometimes we fall into this mindset that
1: we are the Lord of our own domains, we're not.
0: He, He is the Lord of heaven and earth owns everything psalm 50 verse 10 to 11 says for every beast of the forest is mine the cattle on a thousand hills i know all the birds of the hills i i love i love that i know all the birds of the hills how many birds do you guys know yeah i know like three like robin crow i know two right, okay, <laughs> right? he knows all the birds in the fields. I struggle to even remember my children's names and I've got three of them. But every single bird he knows. Every single one. And it goes on and all that moves in the field is mine. He knows it intimately. He made it. He fashioned it. And it's all his. So, so why does this matter? Why does it matter that God is self-existent and why does it matter that we understand that and live in the light of that? How does God's self-existence affect us? Well, it affects us in a really important way. And that is that it affects us in relation to our value and identity. You see, our value and our identity derive from our origin. Right. And we get this in relation to. How our upbringing shapes us, right? Whatever your relationships are like with your earthly parents, mum or dad, whether you grew up with both of them at home, with one at home, with none of them at home, whether it was positive or negative, usually it's a whole mix of things, isn't it? But we are shaped, aren't we, by where we come from? We're shaped by our story of of origin in so many ways that we haven't got time to go into this morning but in a human sense we get that yeah it's really obvious we're probably able to look back and say oh yeah i can see how the way that my dad did that affects me here or the way that my mum did this affects me here or the way that i was affirmed wasn't affirmed was encouraged wasn't encouraged you know all those kind of things where we came from where i grew up our origin shapes us it makes us who we are and the same is true spiritually and yet as rebellious creatures. What we try to do a lot of the time, and certainly what the world does, is that we try to define our identity separate from our creator, Yeah, rather than defining our identity flowing out of our creator. And so when you look at the world around today, this is like a massive thing, isn't it? Identity is a huge uh, discussion and a huge issue, and the language that you are increasingly hearing is somebody saying something like, um, I identify as dot, Have you heard this language? Yeah, it's common now. Yeah, it's, it's the... And what's, what's so fascinating about this language is that statement is, is hugely loaded with significance because what it says is um, the, the, the final voice of authority over my identity is, mi- is me. Yeah? My validation, you know, like the validation of my identity comes internally from within myself. I identify as rather than externally from what anybody else might say or think about me. And actually, that's a huge cultural shift, even in the last, well, i say even 50 years, but 10 or 20 years, where we used to be validated, Yeah, our identity was formed from external things. A yeah, whole range of external identity markers, whereas now, in our society, our identity is validated by um, our internal authority. Okay, I identify as this. In other words, I am who I say I am. Yeah, which, if you know anything about the Bible, as a human, is quite a risky thing to say. Because there's only one person who gets to say I am who I am, and that's in God's revelation to Moses. And the reason that God can say I am who I am is because He is unchanging. And the reason that we can't say I am who I am is because we are constantly changing. And so the reason that our identity is, uh, having identity that's internally validated, it places us on such kind of rocky ground and shifting sand is because we are constantly changing. We are unreliable. We are not secure. And so therefore, the only way to have a secure identity is for it not to be I am who I say I am, but for it to be I am who you say I am. Our identity comes out of who God is and who God says we are as his creatures and even further as his children in Christ. And so why does God's self-existence matter? Because
1: it's the root of our identity. Because our existence, our identity flows out of him. Not I am who I
0: I say I am, but I am who you say I am. I just want to leave that with you just for a moment. I just want you to think where is it that you find your identity in its deepest sense? Is it from within?
1: Or is it from what you do? Or is it from what the Father who made you and saved you in Christ says of you? What shapes your identity?
0: So that's God as self-existent. Are you guys still with me? Okay, God then as self-sufficient. Now, hopefully you'll agree and you can see that there is a clear difference between us and God in terms of existence, right? Yeah, you can get the idea that, that God is self-existent. He's uncreated, but we are not self-existent. Our existence depends upon him. But when we come to this second attribute, God as self-sufficient... Maybe we've got a few more questions over that because we might think, well, hang on a second, I know loads of people who are really self-sufficient. <laughs> In fact, I consider myself to be someone who is quite self-sufficient. So let's think about that. And what does God as self-sufficient mean? Well, it means that God has no needs outside of himself, which he himself cannot meet. And I don't want to burst anyone's bubble here this morning, but that is different from us, right? We are not like that. As much as we might like to think otherwise, we are not self-sufficient. We have needs that we ourselves cannot meet. In fact, I would go further and say we have needs that only God can meet. Again, we go to Acts seventeen twenty-five. It says this of God, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Okay, here's the headline, guys. When it comes to God's self-sufficiency, he doesn't need anything, including you. Yeah. Including you. And I'm sorry if that makes you sad. You know, I'm sorry if you were of the opinion that God couldn't exist without your presence. Okay. Couldn't cope without your company. Okay. But he can. He doesn't need anything outside of himself. If he did, he would cease to be God. God's self-sufficiency means that he is perfectly provided for in himself. And again, that taps into another child's question that you might hear quite a lot, which is why did God make the world? Again, if you're a parent, I'm sure your children have asked that question. I'm sure you've thought about that question as well. Why did God make the world and again we sometimes fumble and scramble around for a response and sometimes fall into the error of going well god was up in heaven and he was looking around and there wasn't anyone there and he was feeling a bit lonely and a bit sad and he wanted some friends and so he decided to create the world so that he could have some friends and so that he could have some company right have anyone ever thought of that or heard that description of why god created the world well i just want to lovingly uh, And respectfully say um, that that is nonsense, that that is absolutely false. And Jen Wilkin, in her book that I think uh, Hughes referenced before, None Like Him says this okay, says it sounds so good, doesn't it? The idea that God's crowning act of creation was intended to fill a human-shaped hole in his transcendent heart. But there are no voids in his being, no gaps he must fill to be made whole. He is whole already, wholly loving and wholly loved within the perfect eternal companionship of the Trinity. The Father has always loved the Son, who has always loved the Spirit, who has always loved the Father. No need, no need for love or companionship prompted the Godhead to speak us into being. He created us gladly, praise the Lord. He loves us infinitely, praise the Lord. But he does not need us. You know that film, Jerry Maguire? You've seen Jerry Maguire, yeah? And there's that famous scene in Jerry Maguire where Tom Cruise's character does this big speech at the end of the film to René Zellweger that culminates in this moment where he's like, you complete me. And Sometimes I think we think that's what God says over us. And he's like, oh. My life was missing one thing. My existence was missing one thing until I made you. And now, now it is filled. You complete me. And yet, God isn't completed by us. He doesn't need anything from us. And yet the good news is that even though God needs no one, he can use Anyone! (laughs) Praise the Lord! He doesn't need us to fulfill his purposes, but he uses us to fulfill his purposes, which I just find mind-blowing. That God would choose to partner with us, and it's also incredibly releasing, because it means that whatever God has called you to do is not on you yeah whatever uh, when you think about the church and god making his appeal to the world yeah about the reality of his son and how much we need him for fullness of life he is determined to decide to make that appeal through broken and, and fallible people and yet he partners with us and he uses us to do it but he doesn't need us which means it's all on him all we have to do is be obedient All we have to do is be obedient and do what he tells us to do. And he will do the rest. Because it's not about us. God's kingdom coming is not dependent upon us. His kingdom will come. His kingdom will come. And it will come through us and through the things that we do and through the life that we live. But he does not need us. Contrast God's self-sufficiency with what it says about us in Acts 17, 25 that God himself gives to all mankind
1: life and breath and everything. So just for a second, a collective breathing exercise, okay? So we'll just take a nice deep breath in. Okay, ready? Oh, good, didn't it? Yeah, we did that again. Get Only reason you're able to do that is because God enables you to do that. Only reason you're able to have breath in your
0: lungs, a beat in your heart, a neuron in your brain is because right now in this moment, God is
1: enabling you to do that. Isn't that amazing? He has no one doing that for him.
0: He is fully self-sufficient. And so the question we have to wrestle with is, if we can't even breathe without God, why do we think we can do anything else without him? If we're dependent upon him for the very breath in our lungs, why do we so often live in a way that is like, functionally, we don't actually need him? when we consider the fact that we are dependent upon him for everything and yet how often do we try and kick against that and live in self-dependency live in self-sufficiency you know self-sufficiency is kind of a, a lauded attribute when it comes to the world isn't it you know there's Books, you know, bookshops filled with books about being self-dependent, being self-sufficient. You don't need anybody. That's a positive thing. Come across somebody, you know, they go for an interview. It's like, tell me one of your skills. Well, I'm really self-sufficient. I'm self-dependent. I don't rely on other people. I don't need anything. And so this message is coming to us all the time. And actually, we kind of buy into it. We buy into it. We say, yeah, no, I want to be like that. And yet we can't. It is an illusion. We are, and we need to recognise that we are fundamentally needy people. In fact, the fact that we are people is a description of our need.
1: We're also going to recognise that these needs aren't a curse. Sometimes
0: we get so frustrated with the things that we cannot do. But we need to recognise that God has made us, created us with limits, and our limits are a daily reminder that we are not God that we are dependent upon him, that we are not
1: limitless, but we are limited. So Here's a question for you.
0: How do we know if we're kicking against this reality? How do we know if we're fighting against this truth? How do we know if we're, we're subtly or overtly living lives that are more about our self-sufficiency than about our dependency upon God? Well, here's just a few for you to think about. Firstly,
1: prayerlessness. Michael Reeves says that prayerlessness is functional atheism. (laughs)
0: Prayerlessness is functional atheism. When you think about the fact that Jesus prayed a heck of a lot, took himself away to pray, to be with the Father, that his ministry flowed out of his communion with the Father. Jesus needed to do that
1: in order to serve God faithfully. So why do we think we don't? Why do we think we don't need to pray? Why do we think
0: we don't need to commune with God? The prayerlessness is an example of self-sufficiency, forgetfulness, just a lack of attentiveness towards God, just a doing our own thing, doing it our own way, not listening starting every single day with, right, what's on my to-do list? What's on my plan? How can I check it off rather than starting every single day with, well, Lord, what's on your to-do list today? What is it that you have for me today?
1: Your will, not my will, be done. We see
0: self-sufficiency in our pride, in our sense of competency, in our comparison with other people and where we feel like we fit Compared to other people, we see self-sufficiency exposing our anger and our frustration when the thing that we want to do, we can't get done or when there's an obstacle that we can't overcome. We don't have a peace about that. We don't just go, well, that's my limits. I'm just going to trust God in this. But we get frustrated because um, our lordship over our life is being hindered by our limits. You see self-sufficiency in exhaustion. Or somebody who just thinks, I don't need sleep. I don't need to stop. I don't need to rest. I can just keep going, go, 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 like the Energizer, buzz it, bunny. I'm just going to keep on going. If you live your life like that way, you're not embracing the limits
1: that God has put upon you. And then avoidance of community. When you go, I don't, I don't not, not only do I not need God, actually,
0: I don't need other people. I don't need to live or operate in the way that God has designed me to live with other people in community with them, dependent upon them, actually, to meet needs within me that God has designed me for. All of these things, and there are many more, are evidences of self-sufficiency in your life. If you're anything like
1: me, you think through that list and you go, yeah, check, check.
0: Yeah, there's some of that there. Yeah, there's some of that there. We are much more trying to be self-sufficient often than we realize, and we need to come back the source back to the well back to dependency upon like him the good news is as we come to a close that we don't have to fight our limits we can embrace our needs because god as the self-sufficient one as the self-existent one is able to meet every single need that we have philippians four nineteen says this and my god will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And those last three words, they're the game changer. God is able to supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Every single need that we have is met in Christ Jesus. Okay? And not just our kind of external needs. Jesus talks about those. He says, you know, don't be anxious about what you're going to wear. Don't be anxious about what you're going to eat. Okay? Yes, God meets all of those material needs. But the best news of ever is that God meets a much deeper need within us that only he can meet. And that is the need to know and be known by him. To know and be known and loved and held and cherished and accepted and welcomed and abiding and in communion with him. That's what we're made for. We're created to be dependent upon the dependable one. To have our needs met by him in the deepest part of ourselves. That's what it is to be truly human. And the cross of Christ stands over our lives like a beacon, daily reminding ourselves of that need. That we had a need to know him, and yet we had a need that we couldn't get around, which was our sin, standing in the way of us being fulfilled in him, being able to live the life that he made us for, enjoy the communion that he made us for. And so God himself came to the earth and took that need. For forgiveness for reconciliation for a sacrifice for atonement for repayment for our sin he took it upon himself at the cross he did the thing that we couldn't do to bring us into the thing that
1: we were made for new life in him
0: he has met already our deepest need so when you're trying to work out god is this a need that you can meet can you really do this We remind ourselves he's already met the deepest need in our
1: hearts. We can never be self sufficient because
0: we're not made to be. We're not made to be self sufficient. As Augustine famously said, You've made us for yourself, Lord, and our hearts are restless
1: until they find their rest in you.
0: Your soul is restless this morning it will never be satisfied chasing after that job. It will never be satisfied chasing after that
1: relationship.
0: It will never be satisfied chasing after that bank balance. <laughs> it will never be satisfied chasing after that <fingertips> reputation. It will never be satisfied chasing after that status. never be satisfied chasing after that acceptance. It will never be satisfied chasing after anything that the world offers
1: you, only be satisfied because
0: we have been created with actually infinite desire, and yet the world offers us limited satisfaction. And so, the only way that beings created with infinite desire can ever find that desire met is to find it met in the One who is Himself infinite. That's why our souls are never
1: at rest. Until they find their rest in him, our needs will always be unmet until they are met
0: In a second he 's going to lead us in sharing bread and wine together as we just reflect. Jesus' beautiful sacrifice for us and his resurrection and the new life that he offers us. But let's just pause for a moment before we jump into that and just consider what the Holy Spirit has been speaking to us about, what he's been speaking to you about this morning through this revelation of God as self-existent and self-sufficient. And those two key questions, I guess, that I ask around where is it that you're placing your identity and where is it that you're looking for? Leave on the two questions that I was you so to engage with in this moment.
1: I don't know what it is for you. I'm sure it will be something for all of us. So just is quiet. Let's engage with the spirit. Let's listen to him. What is it that is impressing upon your heart this Whenever we're confronted with the
0: truth of God's word that our life doesn't match up with, the appropriate response is repentance. And repentance is not a heavy thing. Repentance is not a convicting thing. Repentance is life-giving. Because repentance is about turning away from a way of life, a way of thinking, an attitude, an approach, and turning towards Jesus. Repentance is a reorientating our life to true north. So in this moment, if you know that you've been seeking to find your identity in anything else other than Jesus,
1: I just want to invite you just to repent of that. To turn away from the emptiness of that pursuit and turn towards the fullness of life in Him. You are who He
0: says you are. You're not who your dad said you are. You're not who your mum said you were. You're not what your colleagues think you are. You're not what your children make you think you are. You're not what your job or career says you are. and You're not what your social status says that you are. You're not what the world says that you are. You're not what that trauma said that you were. You're not what that rejection said that you were. You know what that opinion said that you were? You are who he says you are. The loving, cherished, chosen, forgiven, accepted, loved. Loved more than you can know. Forgiven free. Just receive that in his name this morning. Receive that by faith. This morning, you are who he says you are. And where you've been seeking fulfillment. Wrong place, where you've had that niggling discontentment, that desire for something more, something richer, but you can go into things that only make you feel more numb and more empty. Repent of those things this morning, turn away from. It. Turn towards the one who satisfies your souls. The one who says, Come to me, all who weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. For your souls, come and learn from me. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come Come and learn the unforced rhythms of grace. And so we turn to you, Jesus, and we thank you that you meet every single need in life.